Welcome listeners to a journey into the shadows. I'm your guide to the darkness, your companion in the depths of the unknown. This is Eerie Echoes, stories from the abyss. Welcome to Eerie Echoes, Stories from the Abyss. I'm your host, and throughout the season, we'll be delving into some of the most perplexing mysteries that have haunted the shadows of history. From infamous serial killers to unexplained phenomena, each episode will unravel the enigmatic tales that have captured our imagination. Welcome to Season 1, Dark Origins. But before we begin, a quick disclaimer. The information presented in this episode is drawn from various sources, including articles, documentaries, and media reports that have been published throughout the years, none of which is my own opinion. Now let's embark on our journey into the darkness. Our story begins in the late 1960s in the San Francisco Bay Area where a string of gruesome murders would grip the nation with fear and fascination. The Zodiac Killer, as he came to be known, terrorized the region with a series of brazen attacks, leaving behind a trail of cryptic messages and unsolved mysteries. In the quiet hours of December 20th, 1968, in Valaho, California, the stage was set for a tragic encounter that would mark the beginning of the Zodiac Killer's reign of terror. David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen, both just teenagers, found themselves drawn together by the promise of young love on that fateful night. David Faraday, a bright, charismatic young man, had picked up Betty Lou Jensen for a romantic evening together. They were both students at the Hogan High School in Valaho and had been looking forward to spending some time together, enjoying the freedom of youth under the stars. Betty Lou was known for her infectious laughter and warm demeanor. She had a passion for life and a bright future ahead of her. As she stepped into David's car that chilly December night, little did they know that their innocent outing would end in tragedy. David, driving his family's Rambler, took Betty Lou to a secluded spot known as Lake Herman Road, a popular spot for young couples seeking privacy and tranquility. The atmosphere was serene with only the sound of the night's wind whispering through the trees. As they parked their car and settled in, little did they know that they were being watched, stalked by a shadowy figure lurking in the darkness. The Zodiac Killer, his identity shrouded in mystery, had chosen them as his first victims. In the blink of an eye, the tranquility of the night shattered into chaos as the Zodiac Killer struck with merciless brutality. David and Betty Lou, their promising lives, snuffed out in an instant, became the unwitting victims of a senseless act of violence. Their tragic deaths sent shockwaves through the community, leaving friends, family, and law enforcement reeling in disbelief. The innocence of youth had been shattered, replaced by chilling awareness of the darkness that lurked in the shadows. As the investigation into their murders unfolded, the community grappled with fear and uncertainty. 
who could have done this and what drove them to commit such a heinous act the answers remained elusive hidden beneath layers of mystery decades later the memories of david faraday and betty lou jensen lives on a haunting reminder of the darkness that can lurk in even the most idyllic of settings their names are etched into the annals of history forever linked to the enigmatic figure known as the zodiac killer The night of July 4, 1969 held the promise of fireworks and celebration. But for Darlene Ferrin and Michael Majo, it would end in unimaginable horror. As the clock struck approximately 12:10 a.m., the tranquility of Blue Rock Springs Park on the eastern outskirts of Vallejo, California, was shattered. by the sinister presence of the zodiac killer Darlene Ferrin a 22-year-old waitress at Terry's restaurant and Michael Majo a 19-year-old laborer found themselves drawn to the secluded parking lot of the park seeking solace and conversation under the veil of darkness Little did they know that their fateful decision would thrust them into the heart of the nightmarish ordeal that would forever haunt the Bay Area. The atmosphere was fraught with tension as Darlene and Michael parked their car. The stillness of the night masking the impending danger that lurked just beyond the shadows. A fleeting moment of tranquility shattered by the arrival of a car its headlights piercing the darkness like accusatory eyes a man emerged from the vehicle his silhouette bathed in the glow of a flashlight casting long shadows that danced upon the pavement darlene and michael unsuspecting victims caught in the web of fate watched in confusion as the figure approached The identification sat there ready assuming the guise of law enforcement. But the illusion of safety was shattered in an instant as the tranquility of the night erupted in a hail of gunfire. Darlene struck down by 9 merciless bullets and Michael wounded by 4 bore witness to the depths of human depravity as the killer unleashed his fury upon them. In the chaos that ensued, Michael Manjo, raked with pain and fear, caught a fleeting glimpse of his assailant. A white man of average height and build, with a round face and brown hair. A chilling embodiment of evil etched into his memory forever. As the echoes of the gunfire faded into the night, leaving behind only the haunting specter of death. The killer retreated into the shadows, leaving Darlene and Michael to grapple with the aftermath of his brutal attack. For the authorities, the investigation yielded few answers and many questions. The killer's audacious phone call to Wallahi Police Department claiming responsibility for the attack and linking it to the murders of David Faraday and Betty Lou Jensen. plunged the community into a state of fear and uncertainty. In the weeks that followed, the arrival of cryptic letters bearing fragments of a sinister cipher and taunting law enforcement with the promise of a revelation marked the beginning of a letter-writing spree that would span years, casting a long shadow of dread over the Bay Area. In the aftermath of the tragedy, suspicions swirled and fingers were pointed. Yet the identity of the Zodiac killer remained elusive, a phantom lurking in the darkness, defying all attempts at capture and comprehension. Decades later, the scars of that fateful night still linger, a stark reminder of the fragility of life and the relentless pursuit of justice. 
And as we confront the chilling legacy of the Zodiac Killer, we are left to ponder the mysteries that continue to elude us, trapped in the labyrinth of the unknown. The story of Darlene Ferrin and Michael Majo serves as a testament to the resilience of human spirit in the face of unspeakable evil, a beckon of hope in the darkest of despair. And as we honor the memory of Darlene, we are reminded that the quest for truth and justice knows no bounds, echoing through the corridors of time, forever bound in the shadows of the past. As the ominous shadows of Zodiac Killer continue to cast a pal of Northern California, the tranquil shores of Lake Berryessa near Napa became the haunting backdrop for yet another nightmarish chapter in the Killer's saga. On September 27, 1969, the lives of Cecilia Shepard and Brian Hartnell would be forever altered in a chilling encounter that defied reason and left a mark on the annals of true crime. The stage was set on the serene shorelines of Lake Berryessa. As Cecilia, a 22-year-old with dreams yet unfulfilled, and Brian, a 20-year-old student at the Pacific Union College, sought solace in the idyllic surroundings. Little did they know the tranquility of the Our Lakeside Retreat would be shattered by the arrival of a man wearing an unusual costume and armed with a gun. It was approximately 6.15pm and the couple, blissfully unaware of the malevolent force approaching, relaxed on a blanket at a remote location by the lake. The man towering over six feet with a heavy build, claimed to be a prison escapee from either Montana or Colorado. His demand for money and a car to facilitate his escape to Mexico set the stage for the macabre theater of horror. Cecile Shepard, ever vigilant, noticed the impending danger and with Brian Hartnell engaged in a surreal conversation with their would-be assailant. Despite offering his wallet and car keys, Brian's gestures failed to appease this man's sinister intent. The conversation took a dark turn as the assailant wielding a knife with a wooden handle and a blade 10 to 12 inches long, attacked with ferocity and defied comprehension. Brian Hartnell stabbed six times in the back and Cecilia Shepard, brutally assaulted with ten stab wounds, bore witness to the manifestation of evil on the desolate shoreline. The plastic clothesline became an instrument of restraint, binding them as the assailant inflicted pain and terror upon them. As the assailant callously walked away from the scene, leaving behind two victims teetering on the brink of death, a nearby fisherman heard their desperate screams and alerted the park rangers. By the time help arrived, the couple managed to untie themselves, their strength waning as the gravity of their injuries became apparent. The shocking crime scene revealed a message scrawled on the victim's car door. A sinister declaration of the dates of previous Zodiac attacks, signed with the now infamous cross circle symbol. Tire tracks and size 10.5 wing walker shoe prints hinted at the killer's methodical approach, providing investigators with fragments of a sinister puzzle. Tragically, Cecilia Shepard succumbed to her injuries within 48 hours of the brutal assault. Her funeral services drawing a multitude of mourners. Brian Hartnell, against all odds, survived his harrowing wounds and went on to become the attorney in Southern California, a living testament to resilience in the face of unspeakable horror. 
The aftermath of the Lake Boreasa attack revealed the Zodiac Killer's ever-escalating descent into madness. His bizarre behavior, from the cryptic messages left at crime scenes to the eerie phone calls claiming responsibility, painted a portrait of a disturbed individual driven by a sinister need for notoriety. As the investigations unfolded, numerous suspects were scrutinized, including the infamous serial killer Ted Bundy, whose fingerprints were later compared and cleared of all involvement in this particular crime. The Lake Berryessa attacks stood as a testament to the enigmatic nature of the Zodiac Killer, transcending the boundaries of conventional criminal behavior and plunging into the realm of the inexplicable. In the face of this chilling episode, the community was left to grapple with the unsettling realization that the Zodiac Killer was not merely a super criminal taunting law enforcement but a deeply warped individual whose thirst for violence had taken a disturbing turn into the realm of the inexplicable and the macabre. In the heart of San Francisco's Presidio Heights neighborhood, the bustling streets of Washington and Cherry Streets bore witness to a tragedy that would forever stain the fabric of the city. On the fateful night of October 11, 1969, the life of a cab driver, Paul Stein, was brutally cut short in an act of senseless violence that sent shockwaves through the community and left an indelible mark on the annals of true crime. Paul Stein, a 29-year-old cab driver with dreams and aspirations like any other, embarked on his routine shift navigating the labyrinth streets of San Francisco with a practiced ease. Little did he know that the darkness lurking in the shadows would soon descend upon him with unfathomable cruelty. It was approximately 9.55 p.m. when fate intervened at the intersection of Washington and Cherry Streets. Paulstein's cab hailed at Mason and Gary Street was bound for Washington and Maple Streets near the Presidio. Yet destiny had other plans in store. For reasons unknown, the cab veered off course, coming to a stop at the northeast corner of Washington and Cherry Streets, a block away from the intended destination. As Paul Steen, unwitting victim of circumstances, awaited his passenger's fare, the spectre of death loomed ominously in the darkness. A white male aged 25 to 30 with stocky build and reddish brown hair approached with the air of menace. His heavy rimmed glasses betraying the intent hidden behind his cold calculating eyes. In a moment of incomprehensible horror, Paul Steen was struck down by a single gunshot to the head. His life extinguished in a flash of violence that echoed through the silent streets. The 9mm semi-automatic pistol wielded by an unseen hand of the Zodiac Killer became the instrument of his demise, leaving behind a trail of unanswered questions and shadowed lives. In the aftermath of the brutal attack, the scene bore witness to a chilling aftershock of the killer's depravity. Paul's scene's wallet and keys were taken, his shirt torn apart in a grotesque display of contempt for human life. Bloody fingertips, potential clues to identify the killer, lingered as silent witnesses to the atrocity that had unfolded. Despite the valiant efforts of three witnesses from the nearby house, the fog of confusion and miscommunication clouded their desperate attempts to alert law enforcement of the unfolding tragedy. Mistaken descriptions and missed opportunities obscured the path to justice, leaving the city reeling in the wake of Zodiac Killer's reign of terror once again. In the days and weeks that followed, the investigation into Paul Steen's murder would captivate the nation. As law enforcement grappled with the enigmatic figure lurking in the shadows, cryptic letters, 
bearing fragments of bloody shirts and taunting messages served as macabre reminders of the killer's insatiable thirst of notoriety. Despite the passage of time and the closure of the case, the memory of Paul Steen and the other victims of the Zodiac Killers endures a testament to the resilience of human spirit in the face of unspeakable evil. As we confront the chilling legacy of the Zodiac Killer, we are reminded that the quest for justice knows no bounds, echoing through the corridors of time, forever bound to the shadows of the past. In the pursuit of justice, some investigators become synonymous with the cases they dedicate their careers to unraveling. Among them stands Inspector Michael Maloney, a recently retired luminary of San Francisco Police Department's Homicide Division, whose name resonates with the echoes of unsolved mysteries and the relentless pursuit for the truth. As a seasoned veteran of law enforcement, Inspector Maloney's reputation preceded him, earning him a place among the elite ranks of investigators tasked with unraveling the enigmatic puzzle of the Zodiac Killer. With a career spanning decades and a keen eye for detail, Inspector Maloney and his partner stood at the forefront of forensic science, pioneering the application of DNA techniques to cold cases that defied conventional investigative methods. Their groundbreaking work brought them face to face with the shadowy specter of the Zodiac Killer, a figure whose elusive identity and chilling reign of terror had haunted the Bay Area for years. Armed with the determination and a relentless pursuit of justice, Inspector Maloney and his partner embarked on a quest to unravel the mystery that shrouded the Zodiac case in darkness. Their efforts, fueled by the steadfast commitment to truth and integrity, yielded unprecedented advancements in forensic DNA analysis, offering a glimmer of hope in the face of seemingly unsurmountable odds. Yet, their progress was met with resistance from within the ranks of San Francisco Police Department, where egos clashed and the bureaucratic obstacles threatened to derail their pursuit of justice. In a candid reflection on the state of the Zodiac Killer case, Inspector Maloney's words echoed with a mixture of frustration and determination as he lamented the bureaucratic hurdles and leadership failures that had foiled their efforts to bring the elusive killer to justice. With a sharp critique of departmental politics and the stifling influence of egos, Inspector Maloney lay bare in the systematic challenges that hindered the investigation at every turn. But amidst this disillusion and bureaucratic quagmire, Inspector Maloney's unwavering resolve shone brightly, a beacon of hope for those who sought closure and justice for the victims of the Zodiac Killer. His parting words served as a testament to the enduring spirit of those who refused to be silent by the passage of time, and whose tireless efforts ensure that the pursuit of truth and justice remains an eternal flame in the darkness. As the legacy of Inspector Michael Maloney endures, his words stand as a reminder of the profound impact of dedicated investigators whose tireless pursuit of justice transcends the barriers of time and bureaucracy. In the records of true crime, his name remains etched in history as a symbol of unwavering determination and a relentless pursuit of truth. The haunting shadows of the Zodiac Killer casts gloom over the tranquil streets of Oceanside, California on the ominous night of April 10, 1962. It was a night like any other yet destined to be forever etched in the annals of true crime as the life of Fred Davis, a 27-year-old cab driver, came to a tragic and untimely end. Estranged from his wife and seeking solace in the familiarity of his brother's home, Ray Davis embarked on his routine shift as a driver for the Checker Cab Company, unaware of the fate that awaited him in the darkness. 
Little did he know, his journey would lead him to an exclusive enclave of St. Malo, Oceanside's first gated community, where the chilling hand of destiny awaited him. As the clock struck 11.20pm, the stillness of the night shattered with the sound of gunfire. As Davis fell victim to a merciless assailant lurking in the shadows of his own cab. Shot twice from behind with a .22 caliber weapon, Davis's lifeless body was callously discarded in an alley, a grim testament to the unfathomable depths of human depravity. In the aftermath of the brutal attack, the eerie echoes of the Zodiac Killer reverberated through the corridors of law enforcement as chilling similarities emerged between the murders of Ray Davis and the notorious Zodiac killings that would grip the nation in fear. The Zodiac's ominous presence loomed large over tranquil streets of Riverside, California on the fateful night of October 30th, 1969, when the life of the 18-year-old Sherry Jo Bates was cruelly extinguished in a savage act of violence. A graduate of Riverside's Ramona High School, Bates' promising future was tragically cut short in the shadowy confines of an alley on the campus of Riverside City College. Beaten and stabbed multiple times with a short-bladed knife, Bates' throat was brutally slashed, leaving behind a scene of unimaginable horror and heartbreak. Despite the meticulous efforts of law enforcement, the identity of her assailant remained shrouded in darkness, a silent spectre haunting the collective consciousness of the entire community. As the investigations into the Zodiac killings unfolded, the shadows of uncertainty gave way to the light of truth revealing the harrowing reality of life's lost and justice denied. In the heartache of loss and the pursuit of closure, the memories of Ray Davis and Sherry Jo Bates endure as testaments to the enduring resilience of the human spirit and the relentless quest for justice in the face of unspeakable evil. Each victim had a story a life cut short by a senseless violence of a madman. David Faraday, a bright young man with dreams of the future. Betty Lou Jensen, full of life and laughter with a heart of gold. Darlene Ferrin, a loving mother with a zest for life. Michelle Magill, a young man with a whole life ahead of him. Paul Steen, a young cab driver with dreams and aspirations like any other. And Ray Davis and Sherry Jo Bates, who till to this day, we are not sure if the Zodiac Killer had anything to do with their end. As the chilling saga of the Zodiac Killer unfolded, investigators delved into a labyrinth of theories and suspects each wailed in a cloak of suspicion and intrigue. From disturbed loners to cunning masterminds, the pool of potential culprits seemed boundless, each adding a layer of complexity to the enigma shrouding the identity of the Zodiac Killer. Among the myriad suspects, one name emerged with tantalizing clues and eerie coincidences. Richard Gakwasi. That is if I'm pronouncing it right. Born in Watertown, South Dakota on March 14, 1936, Richard's life journey intersected with the shadowy realm of the Zodiac Killer in a series of haunting parallels and unsettling connections. Richard's path led him from the tranquil streets of South Dakota to the bustling corridors of San Francisco where he forged a career in journalism and crossed paths with the enigmatic figure of the Zodiac. His tenure at the helm of the counterculture newspaper Good Times offered a glimpse into the world of radical ideology and submersive literature, a realm ripe with intrigue and speculation. 
The threads of suspicion surrounding Richard intertwined with the chilling details of the Zodiac's reign of terror. From cryptic ciphers to ominous letters sent to the newspaper across California. The echoes of Richard's voice, identified by police dispatcher Nancy Slover, reminiscent of the Zodiacs, added another layer of intrigue to the enigmatic puzzle. Yet, amidst the labyrinth of clues and conjecture, the spectre of misinformation clouded Richard's legacy casting doubt on his role in the chilling saga of the Zodiac Killer. Despite fervent speculation and painstaking investigation, definitive proof remained elusive, leaving the truth veiled in the shadows of uncertainty. In the annals of true crime, the name Richard Kowalski stands as a haunting reminder of the complexities surrounding the enigma of the Zodiac Killer. His life, intertwined with the chilling tapestry of the Zodiac's crime, offers a tantalizing glimpse into the world of mystery and intrigue, where truth and myth blur into the shadows of uncertainty. Investigators later explored Arthur Lee Allen's potential connection to the Zodiac Killer starting with the murder of Sherry Jo Bates in 1966 at Riverside City College. Two ominous letters confessing to Bates' murder were sent and Allen was allegedly in Riverside during the incident. He later hinted at his presence there. Allen, an elementary school teacher in Calaveras County, was absent on November 1, 1966 when Bates was killed attributing it to school business. In late April 1967, anonymous letters referring to Bates were sent, later determined to be the Zodiac's work. Allen had connections to Riverside and allegedly claimed he was going to go to Berryessa on the day of the attack. The footprints at Lake Berryessa matched Allen's shoe size. He was familiar with the area and providing conflicting alibis. Allen received a watch with the cross circle symbol similar to the Zodiacs and reportedly shared violent fantasies about killing couples, taunting police and signing letters with the cross circle symbol. In 1972, San Francisco police secured a search warrant but searched a trailer instead of Allen's home, finding nothing incriminating. His brother stated, Allen received the watch in 1967 and not in 1968. Allen had connections to the Blue Rock Springs, Darlene Ferrin's workplace, and potentially knew her. Surviving victim Mike McHugh identified Allen in a police lineup. Allen owned ammunition matching the one used in the Lake Herman Road attack. After being fired from teaching for molesting a student, Allen faced stressors like his birthday and Christmas, aligning with the Lake Herman Road murder's timing. He had a history of disturbing the peace, issues with alcohol, and carried weapons. His downward spiral led to a part-time job as a service station attendant and he eventually moved back home. The Zodiac made references to Zodiac watches, and Allen wore his watch until its seizure in 1991. Allen had connections to Paul Steen's cab route, and he admitted to possessing bomb diagrams and mail order catalogs for bombs in 1991. Despite these compelling connections, Allen's guilt remained unproven and he continued to maintain his innocence. The investigations into the Zodiac Killer persisted, with the mysterious identity continuing to haunt criminal history. Richard Reed Marshall presents intriguing connections to the Zodiac Killer case, although his guilt remains uncertain. Born Joe Don Dickey in 1926, Marshall led a life marked by alias changes and geographical shifts. 
He served in the Navy, worked for Boeing in Seattle, and settled in San Francisco Bay Area during the 1960s. During the Zodiac's reign of terror, Marshall worked at the Avenue Silent Movie Theater in San Francisco and later as an engineer for KTIM Radio. He operated the Port Silent Movie Theater in Marin County by 1974. Marshall became a suspect in 1976 after making suspicious comments over his ham radio. In 2001, Marshall reached out to the writer, upset over a minor detail on a website about his residence. His reaction mirrored the Zodiac's tendency to overreact to media depictions. Marshall's involvement in the Zodiac case prompted a phone tip in 2008 when a care facility employee in Sacramento reported his suspicious behavior. Detectives investigated but didn't perform DNA testing. Marshall passed away later that year. While Marshall's connections raise suspicions, conclusive evidence linking him to the Zodiac crime is lacking. His peculiar behavior and interaction with the case, however, keep him a viable suspect in the eyes of some investigators. Lawrence Klein, also known as Larry Kane, emerges as a suspect in the Zodiac killer case with several intriguing connections. Born in Brooklyn, New York on April 29, 1924, Kane had a history of criminal activity dating back to the 1940s. His aliases included Larry Kane. Pam Huckabee, the sister of Zodiac victim Darlene Ferrin, alleged that Kane had followed Darlene in the months preceding her murder. Additionally, Kathleen Jones, a possible Zodiac victim, identified Kane as her abductor. During the height of the Zodiac's activity in 1969, Kane was 45 years old, stood 5 foot 9 inch tall, and weighed around 160 pounds. A psychologist reportedly diagnosed him in 1965 with a loss of ability to control self-gratification due to the extensive brain damage from a 1962 auto accident. Kane passed away on May 20th, 2010 in Reno, Nevada. While his connections to the Zodiac case are notable, conclusive evidence linking him to the crimes remain elusive. However, his history, alleged behavior, and proximity to the crime scenes keep him in the realm of potential suspects. In the wake of the Zodiac killer's reign of terror, a disturbing facet emerged. The killer's propensity for taunting law enforcement and the media through a series of cryptic letters. These missives contained unsettling messages and intricate ciphers, deepening the enigma surrounding the case and sparking an unyielding pursuit of the elusive murderer. Among the most significant letters was the 408 cipher, which arrived several days after the Zodiac sent the letters to the San Francisco Chronicle, San Francisco Examiner, and the Vallejo Times Herald. On August 8, 1969, schoolteacher Donald Jean Harden and his wife Betty June Harden of Salinas, California, cracked the cipher using homophonic substitutions. Spending over 20 hours deciphering the code, they unveiled the killer's thoughts and ramblings, which, despite containing numerous spelling errors, failed to reveal his identity as promised. The 408 cipher, composed of 340 characters, was independently solved by the FBI in Washington, corroborating the validity of the Harden solution. Although some believe the 18 unsolved characters at the cipher's end may conceal a second code, it's likely that the Zodiac inadvertently omitted the line from his original message. transitioning from the San Francisco Examiner to the San Francisco Chronicle. 
It's intriguing to note the possible influence of the 1963 movie Rampage on the Zodiac's letters and ciphers. The movie's themes of hunting and the most dangerous game mirror the Zodiac's rhetoric with phrases like go on a kill rampage and the most dangerous animal of all appearing in both the movie and the killer's communications. The movie's broadcast on July 20th, 1969, just days before the Zodiac's letter, adds to the speculation of his influence. The deciphered 408 cipher containing phrases like "I like killing people because it is so much fun" and "to kill something gives me the most thrilling experience" suggests a chilling mindset. Notably, a concerned citizen later provided Valleyhaw police sergeant John Lynch with the key to the 408 cipher expressing a desire for anonymity. The unraveling of the 408 cipher marked a significant milestone in the Zodiac case, shedding light on the killer's psyche while leaving his identity shrouded in mystery. Despite the efforts of law enforcement and the amateur sleuths, The true identity of the Zodiac killer remains one of the most enduring mysteries in criminal history. The Zodiac killer's mysterious communication extended beyond the 408 cipher, incorporating the dripping pen card and the 340 cipher, both mailed to the San Francisco Chronicle on November 8, 1969. The inside of the dripping pen card bore the message This is a zodiac speaking. I thought you would need a good laugh before you hear the bad news. I won't get the news for a while yet. PS, could you print this new cipher in the front page? I get awfully lonely when I'm ignored. So lonely I could do my thing. Death, July, August. Sept, oct, equal seven. The card hinted at the impending release of a new cipher, and added a chilling count of seven victims. December eleventh, twenty twenty, marked a historic day in the Zodiac Killer saga, when Dave Ornchuk, Sam Blake, and Jarl Van Eyck. successfully cracked a publicly released solution to the 340 cipher after 51 years and 1 month the decrypted message contained unsettling revelations about the killer's mindset including his anticipation of paradise and the enslavement of his victims in the afterlife the 340 cipher served as a rebuttal to claim made by an imposter eric will who had appeared on the jim dunbar show prompting reassurance from Melvin Belly and Jim Dunbar himself. The Zodiac killer disavowed the imposter, asserting his fearlessness in the face of death and his anticipation of a paradisial afterlife. The cryptic message, while banal and content, underscored the Zodiac killer's intelligence and cunning co-founding codebreakers and amateur sleuths for over 5 decades. The complexity of the encryption hinted at the killer's sophistication, leaving investigators to reevaluate their understanding of his motivations and methods. The Zodiac killer's communication strategy evolved over time, with references to the media coverage and real-world events woven into his messages. The inclusion of dates and references to previous murders added layers of intrigue to his cryptic missives, inviting speculation and analysis from investigators and the public alike. The unraveling of the 340 cipher marked a significant breakthrough in the Zodiac case, providing new insights to the killer's psyche while leaving many questions unanswered. Despite the passage of time, The hunt for the Zodiac killer continues, fueled by the hope of finally unmasking one of history's most elusive and enigmatic criminals.
The Zodiac Killer's perplexing correspondence expanded further with the introduction of the My Name Is Cipher, mailed to the San Francisco Chronicle on April 20, 1970. Accompanying the cipher was a diagram detailing a chilling plan to detonate a bomb on a school bus, showcasing the killer's escalating menace. In response to a challenge laid down by Professor D.C.B. Marsh of the American Cryptocrime Association, or ACA, the Zodiac Killer initiated his message with a cryptic line, This is the Zodiac speaking. By the way, have you cracked the last cipher I sent you? My name is... Dot, dot, this challenge stemmed from Professor Marsh's belief that the killer would not risk revealing his name in a cipher to establish cryptogram experts, convinced that any cipher created by man could be solved by man. The Zodiac Killer's letter delved into his twisted psyche, boasting of his purported body count and referencing the failed bus bomb attempt due to inclement weather. The mention of San Francisco police officer Brian McDonald's fatal injuries from a bomb explosion and the historical case of Sergeant Joseph Emmett Lacey's murder added layers of macabre context to the correspondence. The My Name is Cipher comprised of 13 symbols bore a decree of symmetry and intriguing design elements, including circled eights or possibly tar symbols. See, Zodiac Killer's Zodiac sign was Taurus. Harvey Hines, a retired law enforcement officer, theorized a connection between the cipher and the high-profile suspect, Lawrence Kane, adding another layer of complexity into the investigation. The Zodiac Killer's choice to respond to newspaper challenges and incorporate references to Edgar Allan Poe's works, such as To One in Paradise, hinted at a calculated and literate mind behind the cryptic messages. The killer's ability to manipulate media attention and engage with cryptogram experts demonstrated a chilling intelligence and patient for psychological warfare. The Zodiac Killer's correspondence continued to confound investigators and amateur sleuths alike, leaving behind a trail of cryptic clues and unanswered questions that continue to captivate to this day. Despite decades of investigation and analysis, the true identity and motives of the Zodiac Killer remain one of the most enduring mysteries in criminal history. The button letter sent by Zodiac Killer to the San Francisco Chronicle on June 26, 1970 marked another chilling chapter in his reign of terror. In his letter, the Zodiac expressed his displeasure at the absence of Zodiac buttons among the citizens of San Francisco, threatening dire consequences for their non-compliance. He had previously vowed to punish them by targeting a school bus but since school was out for summer, he claimed to have shot a man sitting at a park with a .38. The murder that closely aligned with the Zodiac's claim was that of police officer Sergeant Richard P. Ratchet, who was fatally shot on June 19, 1970. The sergeant, age 25, fell victim to three shots from his .38 caliber revolver while serving a parking ticket near 643 Wallace Street, San Francisco. Despite the connection, the Zodiac Killer's failure to provide unique details of the crime led many to believe he was merely laying claim to another crime he did not commit. The button letter contained a 32-character code and a map of San Francisco and vicinity which were intended to reveal the location of a bomb buried at a specific site. However, despite the ominous threats, no bomb were found. 
The letter also hinted at a connection to the Ingleside police station with a zodiac stating, The map, coupled with the code, will tell you where the bomb is set. This cryptic message, coupled with the inclusion of the 32-character code, suggested a sinister plan orchestrated by the Zodiac Killer. The analysis of the button letter map and code provided by contributors such as Druzer offered insight into the Zodiac's cryptic messages. The code pointed to a location 246 degrees, including Magnetic North, from Mount Diablo, indicating a bomb site near the Ingleside police station. The inclusion of a dragon card mailed immediately before the button letter reinforced the Zodiac Killer's pattern of cryptic communication and ominous threats. The card depicted symbols reminiscent of the novel Don Quixote, further adding to the enigma surrounding the killer's identity and motives. The button letter, along with its cryptic contents, serve as a chilling reminder of the terror inflicted by the elusive and sinister figure. Between 1966 and 1974, the Zodiac Killer dispatched over 20 written communications to police officials, each containing cryptic messages and challenging ciphers. These letters were mailed to various newspapers and police departments, predominantly in the San Francisco Bay Area, where the murders took place. Despite extensive efforts by law enforcement and amateur sleuths, not all of the Zodiac cipher have been decrypted. Many other ciphers, such as the Z13, mailed with a letter to San Francisco Chronicle on April 20, 1970, and the Z32, included in the letter sent to newspapers in late April 1967, remained unsolved, adding to the mystique of the Zodiac case. Zodiackiller.com is a website that hosts the most comprehensive collection of the authenticated Zodiac writings globally, offering insight into the mind of one of America's most notorious serial killers. Yet, it's crucial to acknowledge the presence of numerous hoax Zodiac letters, complicating the investigation into the killer's identity and motives. For law enforcement, only the items listed on the website are deemed authentic Zodiac communications, providing a glimpse into the enigmatic world of the Zodiac Killer. Thank you for joining me on this dark and haunting journey through the enigmatic world of the Zodiac Killer. Be sure to subscribe to Eerie Echoes, Stories from the Abyss, for more chilling tales from the depths of the unknown. And remember, the darkness holds many secrets waiting to be uncovered. Stay tuned for our next episode, where we'll dive into another chilling tale from the Abyss. Until then, sleep well, if you can. <laughs>